The Neil O'Shea era has ended in Portland. I know Blazers fans out there, most of you are probably rejoicing. We will take a different tact here on the Blazer Focus podcast as we give a more thoughtful, less emotional, analytical evaluation of the situation. But O'Shea's career is over. The team announced today that they have a terminated him for cause for violating their code of conduct policy a four-week investigation revealed according to the blazers that neil o'shea basically created a hostile workplace that led to a lot of uh, employees not feeling good about their employment there and that basically has led to them terminating o'shea after i think 10 years joe freeman right uh yeah it sounds about right or maybe in his 10th year yeah, something like that. Anyway, I'm Aaron Fentress. I cover the Blazers. I'm joined by Joe Freeman, who used to cover the Blazers, and our podcast editor, Andrew Fien, who is a Blazer fan. So we have it all covered. We have the old school Blazer guy, the new school Blazer guy, and then the super fan. As we dive into <laughs> Neil O'Shea's termination, what it means for the franchise moving forward, who the candidates could be. And how do we sort of evaluate his tenure with the team? But let's just start with the basic raw news right now. Four-week investigation. The Blazers hired a prestigious law firm to conduct this investigation that included talking to pretty much everybody who worked with the Blazers and came in contact with Olshay. And that has led to them to make this decision. I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago in which I got two people to talk anonymously, extensively about Olshay. And then another handful of people who wouldn't really go there very extensively, but they at least told me that, yes, this all tracks in terms of either their experiences or what they've seen uh, regarding O'Shea's conduct around the facility. So first question, I guess, to both of you, this thing went on for a while. I actually, the other day, like said to our sports editor, Joel Olmos, I'm like, it's been like four weeks since this whole investigation began. Is this going to come to a conclusion at some point? And then sure enough, bam, it busts out. But let's start with you, Joe. Are you surprised at all or did you expect this outcome? Well, you know, you go back to when we last spoke and, and we did a podcast for those of you who didn't or who missed it, who, who didn't listen to it, go back into the archives here. And we, we talked extensively about Olshay. Uh, boy, it was probably two or three weeks ago. Um, at that time, I would have said no. I, I, I wasn't. I wouldn't be surprised at all to be sitting here talking about his dismissal. But the longer it dragged out, you started to wonder like, well, if they really had something after this investigation, they would have probably already terminated him. So I had grown a little more, um, you know, I I was wavering a little more as this continued to drag out. But, you know, based on what I had heard, based on my own experiences uh, for for nearly 10 years, um, just, you know, based on... uh, mother's intuition no i I, i'm not at all surprised to 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 be where we are 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 right now um you know some of the stuff you reported a lot of the stuff i had heard along the way um it just doesn't fly anymore it's like what we talked about last time you know it it was never okay um and and you know i don't think we need to get into too great a detail uh, to pile on to neil and all that stuff that's pretty easy and an easy target right now but if a lot of the stuff that's that that we have heard and a lot of stuff that's been reported is true, it just it just doesn't fly. And so um, so long winded. No, I'm not surprised. I think uh, 
I, I agree with a lot of what Joe said. I, I thought he was gone initially when, when the first kind of revelations came out. And then when, you know, there's so much turmoil surrounding this franchise, seemingly from the outside with Chris McGowan also out the uh, president, um, I I figured, you know, there's a power vacuum there. And maybe Neil Olshay has been around for a long time and has the trust of of uh, the Vulcans up in Seattle, seemingly that he was going to ride it out. So the the longer that it went on, the more uh, I, th- I figured he was going to ride this storm out. Um, but he's gone. And, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised it happened on a morning on a Friday in the news biz. We're used to Friday, Friday evening news dumps. But four fifty nine p.m. Exactly. I guess they got it out of uh, early. It's, you know, if this team was, what are they, 11 and 12? Yeah. So, you know, if this team was, uh, my quick math, that's 23 games. So if this team was 20 and 3, we might be having a different conversation here too. Like some of this stuff you can work out perhaps. We don't know the, the, you know, specifics of what, um, people reported back, but it's not like this team was playing, is playing well. It's, it's foundering and the, there's seems to be uh, a roster that doesn't mesh with what the coach wants to do. And they're, the coach is calling out players routinely and, and there's a lot going on here with this with this team, it's not like they, they did well last year. It's not like they're doing well now. So the man who has orchestrated it all at some level bears responsibility for that as well. So I think when you combine this team's performance on the court, the roster as it is with these accusations, it's, it's kind of a death blow. Very true. I, based on my conversations with people early on, everyone I talked to said they did not see how Neil was going to survive this, like every single person. And then after a week and a half, I started hearing people say, well, maybe he could because it, it was they knew he was fighting it. At least this wasn't going to be it's just sort of a slam dunk. And then the fact that kids kept going on and on. And then the other day there was a press release about Nasir Little being out for at least seven days and Lillard being out for at least 10 days. And it had in the press release, you know, announced by Neil Olshay. Now, that's routine. They do that in every press release. But I, I was thinking, man, we've been a month into this and they left his name on the press release. I mean, that could be a smoke screen. It could just be like, well, he wasn't fired yet. But it just started to, you know, seep into me that maybe the fact this keeps going on for as long as it's gone on, that it's not going to result in him being fired. Um, so I, I hadn't decided, you know, an opinion either way. Um, but I would have to say that I'm not floored, but I'm a tiny bit surprised because I, I started to believe that maybe he could, survive it but it's like it's one of these things where we're just guessing because we're not privy to what's going on in all the um interviews and during the investigation right and clearly there was a ton of smoke there well not even smoke there was fire every person i talked to said there was definitely fire there and if there's that much fire you would think in this day and age especially someone would definitely end up being terminated yeah, from the fans' perspective, really all you saw of Neil publicly was the press conference um, demeanor, which, you know, is <laughs> he was always uh, seemingly geared for battle. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, which is kind of. You know, that's not unusual for someone in that position, but it, it did not play well, uh, especially coming off the rocky summer and, and the Dame, um, you know, chatter about whether he was in it 
for the long haul or not. And so, you know, I think all that has to factor in. I mean, just, uh, it's not a fun word, but optics, right? It's not a great look for, for the organization overall right now. What's interesting is we had reached a point where, you know, since this announcement has come, my phone has blown up. My like Twitter blew up. It has been the most galvanizing, uh, thing that's happened to this franchise in a long time. The disdain for Neil from the fans was remarkable. Like what you talk about, Andrew, in, in these, these, you know, press conference performances where he, where seemingly Neil was geared up for battle, like fans see that. And when you're like Neil and you kind of operate in the shadows and you don't have this big, you're not doing a lot of interviews and you're not bringing a lot of attention to yourself. In the moments when you do expose yourself, that's all the fans see. And so uh, it, it is remarkable to me how united this fan base is in rejoicing his dismissal. Like, I don't recall something that united this fan base like this. They were and are completely done with him. And that is one thing that has been, you know, crystallized to me today is the fans after kind of dealing with a, a very much up and down and mostly down season are extremely happy uh, about this development. I disagree with some of the negativity towards his job performance, but the fan base as a whole does not have great fondness for his job performance. And so you, so you have that going for you. So a lot of fans wanted him gone just based on that, right? Just based on 2016, just based on even Zach Collins, which is ridiculous to me. And they can't trade for this star and that star. So they wanted him gone anyway. And then, like you said, how he presents himself, you know, last, last spring when I asked him the question about, would you ever consider trading Dame? He was like, I'm not answering that question. I didn't think anything of it. And then also about the, the small guard thing when he said, I think Dame Lillard might, Consider this, you know, insulting that you keep referring to him as a small guard. He's not small as a point guard. I'm like, okay, fine. Dame. Then you got CJ. He goes, okay, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, I didn't think anything of it, but people were actually talking about those exchanges on Twitter, on some of the radio stations as like Neil being hostile. Whereas for me, I didn't consider it hostile because I'd spoken to Neil before and I kind of know how he is and I don't take that personally. I just clap back at him and that's, that's that. But. The overriding point is that, like you just said, the fans see that and they want answers from this guy who they perceive is wasting Lillard's prime and all he's doing is being snarky, right? And then the, the Billups press conference, you know, when he's asked for more detail about their investigation into the 1977 or 1997 allegations, um, his response is, well, it's proprietary. Bottom line is he was 100 billion percent correct. It is proprietary. The idea that he's going to go up there and talk about the investigation is ridiculous on every level imaginable. It's also invasive to Jane Doe because you'd have to talk about her and her situation and basically call her a liar in public. So his answer was correct. But again, it's just an, he, he didn't handle it well. The whole did he send a signal to Ashley Clinksdale to tell to, to cut off a question from Jason Quick to Billups. Just everything just piles on top of a, a, one or another that it just leads to the situation where he is viewed as the ultimate villain by this fan base. And yes, they are extremely excited that he's gone. I haven't seen one thing on Twitter where anyone's saying this is wrong. So the fans are getting what they want. I guess I more power to them. I don't know. 
Well, coming off the heels of a, we're talking Friday midday off uh, the performance last night where, you know, it was a listless, uh, listless performance, um, shorthanded, um, became even more shorthanded with Anthony Simons uh, rolling his ankle early. uh, I think it was the second quarter. I mean, it was a, in some respects, it's a perfect time, right? Where there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of mo- emotions wrapped up in in the performance of of the uh, team, and you know Joe has covered this team a lot. Where Dame went down, and in a lot of respects, sometimes they would rally the you know they would rally and they would actually play better. In some you know that that wasn't out of the question, but I don't think anyone in their heart of hearts, from a fan's perspective, expected that to happen last night, and that's part of the problem, right? That's the the roster construction and the vibes <laughs> are bad. Yeah. And um, you know, it's a perfect storm and and now, you know, it's a opportunity for the for the organization to turn the page. And it's the question is, is there confidence that they'll do that in the right way? And I guess we'll find out. So aside from fan hate and, uh, you know, whether people are realistic or unrealistic, um, just just the job itself, drafting, free agent signings, building the teams they've built. What do you guys think his true, like, objective, unemotional legacy should be? Well, I think you're going to have two views of that. Uh, one, it's, it's undeniable that he was a successful executive. The Blazers have made the playoffs, uh, what is it, eight years in a row? Yes. Yeah, which is the longest running streak in the NBA, I believe. Along the way, they made the second round, what, at least three times? Three, three times. Yeah, they went to the Western Conference Finals, obviously, that one season. And so there was a lot of success. It, you cannot dispute that. Now, every fan wants their team to win a championship. And so that didn't happen and really didn't come close. And so he was not successful in that standpoint. But neither has any other GM except for Bob Witsick came close and then obviously the 77 title uh, team here. So that does not make him unique. Uh, he had a, a, a penchant, I believe, a strength for for drafting quality guys. Uh, I know he had some swings and misses, much as every GM does. Um, he was responsible for bringing uh, what some consider the best player in franchise history to the to the organization in Damian Lillard. He also uh, had a penchant for being as stubborn and hard headed as you could be with some of his choices. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, and and CJ is going to be the most polarizing player here because there is a a strong contingent of fans who who perhaps rightfully believe that Dame and CJ can't win a title together. And then there's another segment of fans who will point out all that CJ does and what he does, uh, you know, his scoring and how he takes pressure off Dame and how close they are um, off the court and and so on and so forth. So, you know, that's kind of a, a split split skew there. But um, again, I, I think he was strong at drafting. He, he, he created a culture and oddly enough, a work environment for his players and coaches that they were able, you know, because of the toxic work environment he allegedly created. Well, I don't know if it's alleged anymore. He was fired. So, uh, I don't know how to coin that, but the culture around this team, player wise, coach wise, their ability to perform in my time, 
was incredibly strong. The guys, all he brought good character guys into the locker room. Everybody got along. There was a lot of kumbaya when I covered the team and a lot of success. And and by all measures, those were overwhelming positives for him. Um, he also was really good at operating around the margins. You know, he identified that that seventh man in the rotation, that sixth, eighth man in the rotation, those kind of little pieces that help you win. Um, obviously, his his greatest failing was was bringing the right pieces with Damon and, and CJ to get them to a finals or to get them where the fan base wants them to go. I and I think you kind of agree with me a little bit, Aaron. It sounds like that. He takes a, some unfair criticism. He 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 was a good GM in identifying talent and 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 a lot of the the chemistry and the stuff that goes on behind the scenes of running running a team and making sure players are happy and coaches and all that stuff. Um, but he was never able to land that big fish at the right time that pushed the Blazers over the hump, and so that will obviously beyond the toxic workplace environment uh be his biggest uh failing i'll start with the draft okay when you draft late <clears throat> your success rate is extremely small so when i get into discussions about this and they're like oh well you know ronde hollis jefferson well they traded him for Plumley and then at a package deal that got that basically got you nurkage and then caleb swan again okay again he's like the 26th pick in the draft you know what percentage of 26 picks the 26th pick actually become rotation players like maybe Maybe 15, 20%, maybe, <clears throat> as opposed to not even talking about it's a star quality, like that now you're looking at 5%. Um, Zach Collins didn't work out. Zach Collins was injured. I, I never blame a player or a GM unless you should have known ahead of time that the guy had issues for a guy getting injured. If he hadn't been injured, he would have been a good player. Would he be as good as Donovan Mitchell? Not necessarily, but hell, Donovan Mitchell was drafted by Denver. Denver traded Mitchell to Utah for Utah's 22nd pick, and then a guy drafted the previous year. Neither one of them are anything in the NBA. So that's just an example that people make mistakes. But if Mitchell was so great, why did he go 14 or 15? How come he didn't go second when he was the second best player in the draft? So everyone missed on Donovan Mitchell. So to to blame him for that makes no sense to me logically. Anthony Simons, late first round pick, Nasir Little, they're looking pretty good. So those two could hit. So to me, and oh, let's not get to the second rounders. Uh, Barton, great pick. Second rounder, a uh, crab, pretty damn good value for a second rounder. And then Gary Trent, whom you flipped into Connaughton, huh? yeah, Connaughton. Connaughton. And then, and then, yeah, and then Trent, whom you flipped for Powell. So to me, the draft success has actually been pretty damn good. Now, the biggest miss by far, but again, it's one everyone made. And I say everyone because every team in the NBA could have traded up to 15 to get. Giannis, probably, if you'd offered Milwaukee enough. So they could have had Giannis instead of McCollum, but no one saw Giannis coming or he would have been number one. Now, if Neil had been a genius, he would have made that pick and then they're winning multiple titles with Dame and, and Giannis. But that's your, like, but if you're reaching for that to criticize him for, you're just begging and reaching. As far as the free agency and trade things go, it's just like, it's, it's just mindless and nonsensical. I always ask people, who should they have traded for? And I never get a legit answer because you can't identify a, a guaranteed lock trade that was available to Portland. Whom should they have signed as a free agent? Again, I get blank eyes because you can't identify that difference maker that was available and willing to come to Portland. And then also the final question, how many teams in the NBA have really gone out and lured a free agent 
beyond the fact that the free agent just wanted to come to them. The Warriors didn't lure Durant. Durant wanted to jump the bandwagon. Miami didn't lure LeBron. LeBron wanted to join his boys, Bosch, and, and go hang out with their boy, Wade, in South Beach. Cleveland didn't lure LeBron back. LeBron wanted to go back home. The Lakers didn't lure LeBron. He wanted, like, I can go on and on. Dur- uh, the Nets didn't lure uh, Durant and Kyrie. They wanted to hook up. It, like, you, see how, you see how I'm going with this? So, And, and the, the Clippers didn't lure Kawhi. He wanted to go back home. So you can go on and on with this. So the idea that Neil O'Shea blew all these opportunities to get all these major stars who wanted nothing to do with Portland is lunacy to me. But that's the narrative because fans are emotional. Whereas when you look at it pragmatically and analytically, it's just the, the opportunities were not there. They just, I don't want to hear about Kawhi. I don't want to hear about Harden either. The opportunities were not there. And so to criticize them for that, to me, is just completely unfair and ridiculous. And seen. <laughs> and seen. Bring back Neil, says Aaron. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be, be fair in your criticism. Like it has to be fair. It's not like we, it's not like Kawhi Leonard said, I want to go to Portland and, and I'll resign. And Neil said, no, I'm keeping CJ. Then you'd fire Neil, you'd fire CJ or Neil that day. That wasn't, that was never the case. So I just don't understand some of the criticisms there. What remind me, guys? I don't know, Joe, you might know this. The Paul George to OKC thing was that a wooing by Westbrook or that kind of led that? And they, no, he was traded. He was traded. And, oh, no, and, he was traded. I mean, of course, there was no wooing. He was he, traded. Well, so yes, and have a better trade. Yes, yeah. yes, and no. They weren't going to trade him somewhere he didn't want to go. I mean, that's how it works most of the time right. with, with right. stars. Dame and CJ did a very public recruitment of Paul George. Uh, right. I remember. I think it was outside Dame's basketball camp out in Beaverton at the hoop. Um, him and Dame. In separate seasons, Wu tried to lobby Carmelo and tried to lobby for Paul George, and uh, and both at the time were unsuccessful. Paul didn't want to come here, is my understanding. And so, um, yeah. you know, looking at deals, I just think from from fans' standpoint and and irrational, rational, all of the above, it all hinges on Neil's unwillingness to trade CJ McCollum and and it and it hinge you know lies on how you feel about whether or not they should have done that and okay but but when you say unwillingness were they unwilling to trade him for Kawhi if Kawhi was going to stay for I'm, George I'm, no I'm just talking I mean, about in general his his unwillingness to to you know deal CJ for a player back who maybe might have been able to help the Blazers push further ahead uh, than than they've been able to do. I'm not talking about Kawhi. I'm not talking about LeBron. I'm not talking about any specific player. When, when a when a franchise knows that one GM is unwilling to trade a specific player, then they're not going to be because CJ's value four years ago or whatever was pretty high as a young up and coming scoring guard with lots of potential. Um, and so it, it, it was it was his stubborn. I don't know if you want to say stubborn because yeah, I, I still maintain that Damon CJ can take you to very good places if you put the right pieces around them. So on, <clears throat> on the one hand, he was unable to do that consistently. But on the other hand, you never know what would have happened if he would have been willing to trade CJ for, say, a three or okay. a four and then go get a Powell or another two guard that makes sense with that. Nucleus. So, OK, I want to clarify this with you because. I don't believe for a second that if a legitimate impact wing or power forward or even center were available, 
that Neil wouldn't have made the trade. Like, like someone has to give me the example of where that exists. I don't believe C, I don't believe he would trade CJ for just a margin, like, like Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks plays good defense. He's a decent player. I guarantee you that Neil had the chance to acquire a player at CJ's caliber to play at a three or a four along the way. There, year after year, those players become available. He did not want to trade CJ. It, it's, it is, that is a fact. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it depends on how you view that. Some people wow. would say that's the right move. I think a lot of fans don't think that's the right move. And that, I think a lot is where their sentiment about his failings rest. Okay. So I'm not going to doubt you because you covered the team for a long time. But if that's true, and I, I, when CJ burst onto the scene in the, during, after Aldridge left and they were good and people were all excited about it. I maintain at that moment, they're never going to win a championship with those two as your best two players ever. And I was ripped by some people, even the NBC Sports Northwest people were ripping me about it or what have you. And Neil was maintaining he thought he could win with them, which I thought was just ridiculous. Now, if he could have gotten a, a, a player like you're saying, then yeah, that was an absolute error and a mistake. But I would, I would need to have a name to, to buy that 100% because that would just be, I've just been, I've been told different things about different stages of Lillard's life with them where different guys were available that he would have traded for, but they weren't going to stay. So that's why, like, Paul George, would he have done that? I think he would have done that in a heartbeat. If you tell me that he wouldn't have traded CJ for Paul George, then that to me is just ridiculous. Like, that would be like, what are you doing? There's no way you can believe that Dame and CJ are better than Dame and George. So anyway, that, I, if that's true, then I agree 100%. Because it was those two are never going to win a no No combination like those two has ever won a title. Ever. In the history of the NBA as their best two players. You can't even count the bad boy Pistons. Because, no, because Dumars was an all-defensive player like six times. These two guys, their weakness is defense. Isaiah actually played defense. You're talking about two small guards who are shoot-first guys who don't play defense. Never in the history of the NBA has a team won a championship with that combination as their best two players, ever. So if Neil thought that was the case and bypassed guys like you're saying, then yeah, Neil, he, he, he effed up. <laughs> and I would yeah. say it to him. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, I told him that I don't think those two would ever win a championship before. So yeah, if he actually did that, he screwed it up. I just, I would, I would need some names and examples before I would buy that completely. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. Andrew, what say you? No, just in terms of like what I'll think back of on when I think of this era, I mean, you, you can't operate in a vacuum and not look down and see the Golden State Warriors, which are one of the greatest it's one of the greatest teams of all time. They ran into them repeatedly in the playoffs, right. In their, in their run, you know, I, I would have loved to see them healthy with, uh, without a NS cancer (laughs) at center and see what would have happened. Do I think in my heart of hearts that they would have prevailed? No, but you know, so they ran into that team. How many times, Joe, four times they lost to them in the playoffs, three or four. And then the Spurs team, um, you know, that, to my mind was one of the most amazing teams I've ever seen. Um, they got just boat raced by them. So then you're coming down to the, the Anthony Davis, um, you know, the, the Pelicans team that with drew holiday, where they just kind of 
totally neutralized <laughs> Dame and then, you know, the bubble in the last last two years. So, I mean, ultimately, th- they've had a good run, but it just felt like they missed on on a few things. And you you couple that with the outward facing, um, uh, you know, visage and and it, it was just kind of enough. And I, I, I think, you know, it's not. I think when fans look back, it, it'll be a, a good era. Um, I don't think he's going to be pilloried in quite the way he is right now, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but he, he's uh, he's gone. If, <laughs> he's gone if, now. If so we'll your see. if your benchmark is Neil didn't win a championship in Portland, therefore he's a bad GM, then you don't know what you're talking about because the odds of the Blazers winning a championship with Damian Lillard as their best player. In an era where star players are changing teams at will, was maybe one percent, and that one percent would have been getting Giannis. Other than that, you not only are you not getting the star players, but the star players are joining forces together—the right. ones that you would need. So how are you going to beat LeBron and AD without either LeBron or AD? How are you going to beat Durant, Curry, and Clay without Durant? Like you, you, you just can't because they're all joining forces. So the odds of a GM in a small market and poor—it's not like. Every team in the NBA won a title except Portland. There's a couple of dozen other franchises out there who are in the exact same position and have not won a championship. So the the fact that people honestly thought Portland was going to build a title team around Damian Lillard when you can't get any of these guys who are joining forces, it's just it's 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 one of these things where I just look at people and I just roll my eyes like you just don't know what the hell you're talking about. They're not going to beat LeBron and Wade and Bosch. They're not going to beat the Spurs you just mentioned. They're not going to beat the Warriors as they were constructed. And then they added Durant. You're not going to beat LeBron and Anthony Davis. Those things are just not going to happen unless you get lucky. And the players that they would get weren't available to them, I don't believe. Not for CJ of all people. So anyway, my thing is he had his faults. But to me, he didn't fail to win a championship in Portland. That was never going to happen, barring a miracle. You know, and and I mean, we could put you on a, a like a record player, and you could say this over. I've I've heard this whole spiel about seventeen times by now. I think more important right now, now that we've sort of overhashed or rehashed Neil and, and his legacy a little bit, is what all this means in the here and now for this team. This is a team that's eleven and twelve. It's limping along with several injuries, even before the injuries. It's not playing well, certainly on the road. I'm not around the team, so I don't know how their chemistry is and how they're responding to, well, it, to Coach here. Phillips. But, you know, this is yet another, you know, obstacle or distraction or whatever you want to call it in what is <clears throat> right now an early season, critical early season moment for this franchise. They're going to be operating, yeah. you know, on an interim basis with, Joe Cronin, who is the anti-Neil Olshay. He is incredibly, uh, and I shouldn't say that because now everything I say, people are going to say it's a critique on Neil. But to give you a little insight about Joe, he's incredibly humble. He's incredibly kind. He is uh, a really smart, he's a self-made person who was an intern with the Blazers, became a cap guru, taught himself the salary cap. Um, I don't think he's, you know, in line to be the permanent guy by any stretch of the imagination. But over the last 15, 16 years, he's rose up from an intern to an assistant general manager. His opinion was valued uh, by all the GMs he worked under from Kevin Pritchard to Rich Cho to Chad Buchanan to even Neil O'Shea. And so he does bring a consistent voice, someone who's been there 
uh, for more than, you know, approaching two decades. Uh, and so I don't know how stabilizing that's going to be, but he is the guy right now. And you wonder, does he have autonomy to make moves? Does he have the freedom to change the roster around as this team continues to show warts or, or makes a run and exposes, you know, what they need? I, I don't know what's going to happen in this season, but you know, right now we are 23 games into a season and all of a sudden the Blazers are without their almost 10 year GM. So what's next right. in the here and now? So, okay. So the, the whole theory coming out of last year was Olshay couldn't get the, or Stotts couldn't get the team to play defense at a high level. They finished better down the stretch with their, their starting five, like having a plus minus net rating of 13 or something like that, which was fourth best. So the theory was they bring in a coach who can teach defense and get them to play harder and have accountability that that crew would do a lot better. I bought into the idea that. 50 wins was achievable because last year they won 42 out of 72, right? You got 10 more games and you hope CJ and Nurk don't miss 60 like they did, right? So that, to me, the math made sense. And if you get any better at defense, you should be able to go from 42 to 50 when you have 10 more games to play and if, if you maintain your health, right? So we get into the season and everyone's claiming they're going to buy in, they're going to be held accountable, blah, 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 blah. And all I keep hearing every other game is questioning of effort and i'm gonna tell you right now man i don't have the patience for this shit anymore 20 games in the last year i was rolling my eyes every night hearing these guys talk about oh we just need to keep working on communication sometimes our effort and blah the blah the blah the blah and i'm thinking what the hell you guys are making a hundred million dollars you're starting five you don't give effort every night you have one job do you not care clearly you don't so then you get into later in the season where they magically flip the switch and they won 10 out of 12, and it started with this Indiana game where Dame locked down Brogdon. And after the game, Dame's like, well, you, sometimes you just got to make a decision where you're going to commit. I'm like, oh, you wait until the end of the year to make this decision as a team? You're basically admitting that to me. Okay, fine. You come into the next season. You got a new coach, Chauncey Billups. He won a championship. He was a defensive-minded guard. We're going to be different. And you come out, and it's the same old crap. The defense on the road is awful. The defense at home has been okay. And every other night, Billups wants to shoot someone in the face because he's tired of the lack of defensive effort. So clearly he's not making them play harder. They don't care. Neil's theory is being proven incorrect. So a new GM, as far as I'm concerned, needs to come in and start trading people at will if you can. Shake up the roster because as it's constructed, if they don't care enough to give effort for Chauncey, then guys need to go. Like, they just need to go. Even if you crash and burn, get rid of them and start over in some areas, do something. Because as it is right now, this is just a joke. Like, I don't want to hear this every other night. Bench guys, don't start whoever it is you think is not giving you effort. If that means sitting down two starters and losing by 20, go for it. Whatever you have to do, because the roster as it is is not getting it done. And this was Neil's roster, and now Neil's gone. You got to make a bunch of changes. Whew. I don't know Chauncey, uh, but I feel I wonder and I feel about him, feel for him right now because he was Neil's guy, and Neil went to bat for him, obviously, mm-hmm. in a very controversial and, and public uh, way. And now Neil's gone, and so you're a franchise that is is not performing on the court, is dealing with injuries just uh you know lost or dismissed your general manager and now his hand picked coach 
is kind of dangling in the wind. And so, you know, who do you bring in and how does this new GM feel about Chauncey? It's a very, um, it is, I don't even know how to describe this point that this franchise is in right now. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So here's my take on that. If the franchise believes in Chauncey, then, then you would think they're going to hire a GM that's in lockstep with Chauncey. Like Chauncey is going to have some input on that. If the franchise is kind of like, eh, on Chauncey, and this was Neil's guy, Neil sold us on him, and they could be talked into eating his contract, and they're going to allow a new GM to come in and make his own hire, then yeah, Chauncey could be in trouble. But the wild card is Lillard. If, if Chauncey is Lillard's guy, I can't imagine a scenario where a GM comes in and fires Lillard's guy without Lillard's blessing. And if you do do that, is that when Lillard says, I'm out? This franchise is in the proverbial fork in the road. It's do they believe in their core and do they want to continue on this path where they're, you know, pushing for a deep playoff run? Do they think they have that? Or is it time to go in a different direction? And all that, how do you make that decision without a permanent general manager? And does the ownership make that decision? Is that a decision by the current you know, front office who, who's left. It's it's just all very unsettling and precarious. And there there's just it's so many wild. there's so many balls up in the air right now, and you don't know, you know, who's going to grab what ball and how they're going to throw it. It's it's just, uh, and I know everybody, and we're all kind of processing, you know, this Neil development right now. But this isn't like this just came out of the blue. This has been obviously this investigation's been occurring for a month. Or so, and so presumably this franchise, uh, you know, Jody Allen and others, Burke Cold and others involved saw this coming, and uh, there's got to be some kind of contingency plans and some kind of next step uh, that they're ready to take, right? One would think. Oh, th- I cannot, be- I cannot imagine that they, they weren't already working on a list, right? I, I, I mean, they always say people that a GM always has a list of potential coaches. I imagine franchises always have a list of potential GMs. Um, I can't imagine that when you start an investigation like that, someone's not trying to work on a list of potential candidates. Chris Haynes put out two. Mark Eversley, who's the GM with the Bulls, but he's under Arturis Karnasovic, uh, who is the president. And then Scott Perry, who's a GM of the Knicks, but he's under the team president, Leon Rose. Those two presumably could be had if they're given absolute power. The fact that Chris Haynes put those two names out there leads me to believe that they're probably serious candidates because he tends to do well on these types of things when it comes to the Blazers. Uh, anyway, so the point is that I can see those two being viable candidates. And Eversley, I mean, I know a little bit about him because I'm a Bulls fan. But Eversley was like instrumental this offseason in flying to LA and getting DeRozan to not go to the, to, I think the, I think he was talking to the Lakers or the Clippers. I think the Lakers to get, to, flew to LA and convinced him to come to Chicago. But again, that's Chicago. Like Chicago, just as a city and where it is, it's an easier sell than Portland. But maybe he's someone along with Billups. They could become that one, two punch where they can go out and maybe bring in another star. Or if you trade for a star, get that guy to commit to a long-term deal. I mean, who knows? Who'll see? I mean, maybe Billups' contract that the Blazers say were committed to him, maybe that makes the GM not want to come to Portland because they want to hire their own coach. Like, there's just so many things in the air right now. It's just wild. Um, it's going to be a, a fascinating rest of this season because, I mean, right now we can do the countdown to the trade, down, trade deadline right now. It's, what, 12 weeks away? 
I mean, <laughs> to me, all all bets are off between now and then. Don't you have to reach out to Danny Ainge, a person who obviously is familiar with this landscape <clears throat> and the state, who's respected in, in NBA circles, who's won an NBA Absolutely. championship as a player and a GM? A- how is, how is he not at the top of anybody's list? Uh, a- absolutely. Now, he's he's allegedly retired, but maybe he would view Portland as a place he'd want to go since he does have Oregon roots. Maybe he would view it as a better job for him right now because it's not the pressure cooker that Boston is. I can't imagine what being the GM of the Boston Celtics must have been like for him. But, I mean, shoot, people were mad at him when he left because because why? Because they weren't contenders again. But he the things he did in terms of the trades he made and then the picks he got and then getting Tatum and Brown, like – you know, sometimes you can have a lot of good young players, but not be a contender. That's just how the NBA works. But he did a great job there as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, if you can get someone like that to come to Portland, I think you definitely look into him because he's so experienced and he has had success. But, you know, some everyone wants the, the GM or the coach who's won eight titles and never had a bad year. <laughs> everyone wants to steal that guy. But for all of Ainge's uh, negatives, he has way more positives. And then, you know, I think Effersley and, and Perry are interesting too, but – at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to really, I think Lillard's going to have a say in this. And if Lillard wants Billups around, then Billups is going to have a say in this. And you hope they get someone who, who matches what Billups and Dame believe is most important for this team and they can go out and execute. If I had any say, if, if I was behind the scenes, I would put out a call to Chad Buchanan as well, who came up through the Blazers front office under Kevin Pritchard. Was a Indiana right now right? was an interim GM for about ten months after Rich Cho was let go and is uh, the GM in Indiana right now. He is from the Midwest, so you know maybe he he's very content where he is and doesn't want to leave. Um, but you know if he is open, I know he loved Portland. Um, he understands Vulcan. He understands. Uh, I mean, obviously Paul is no longer uh, involved with things, but he understands the Allen way and um he is an incredible human being uh an incredible person a smart guy uh some might say he was responsible for drafting dame he was at the very least uh part of the process he was the interim gm and then you know transferred over under neil after neil was hired and drafted yeah apparently they had all the work done on dame under buchanan before neil showed up right correct yeah And, and and honestly at the very least He's the single most influential figure in the reason that Dame's here because he orchestrated the trade of Gerald Wallace out of here that got the pick that later became Damian Lillard. He's, mm, that's he's, right. He saw the dumpster fire that it was. Got you know they cleaned house. Um, obviously, Nate McMillan was a was a fall guy for part of that too. And then here we are uh, with three iterations later of this team. But um, anyway. He's a guy that I, if I were involved, would reach out to. Um, combination of his experience, familiarity with Portland, and the uh, he's just a he's a really really good person too. I think there for a lot of reasons he checks a lot of boxes. So Andrew, what do you think? Let, give give a fan, give us a fan perspective on what you would like to see. Uh, one in a hire for a GM, and two in terms of the roster. Like, yeah, I'm tired term- of it too. <laughs> uh i'm i'm getting tired of it um yeah the the i wanted to throw a couple other names that i i'd seen from some bleacher report uh folks throughout Tayshawn prince um obviously connections to chauncey billups and who's what's he the doing re- now though? he's an assistant gm with the grizzlies um okay, and they've 
you know, you look at their roster moves over the last few years, don't obviously know from the outside what degree he's been involved, but I like what they've done a lot in their drafting. Um, and I think they've built a, a good young, young core there. And obviously Tayshawn uh, Blazers could use a guy like Tayshawn Prince, uh, who was a hell of a player back in the day, but, um, and then Brent Barry, who, uh, is, a name that Oregonians would know as well. Who's been around the league forever. Um, yeah, I, I, it, you know, I, I, I think fans want, uh, <laughs> want to see, um, significant movement at this point in time. Um, and you know, the Ben Simmons chatter that we've talked about all season long before the season, you know, if that now would be the time to, to see if there's any thing there, but in terms of like what other players I feel like on the Blazers are expendable or movable, you know, it, it, I, you've had Chauncey Billups has called out pretty explicitly the whole team, I guess. But uh, Robert Covington and, and Yusuf Nurkic have been pretty clearly targets of his frustration. Um, those are two players that would you, seemingly sorry, have to, Covington and Nurkic. Uh, Nurk's on an expiring contract. What can you get for him? Is there a team, you know, like Orlando that has some young assets and is still trying to um, figure out what exactly they are? Would they take a? Would they be willing to part with one of their young bigs? I don't know. I mean, I want I want to see I want to see movement. You know, in the the Billups era, you know, it's off to a rocky start. But I, I have liked that the young players. Um, which we've talked about on this pod many times that Nasir and Anthony are, are actually getting a chance to play um, significant minutes uh, and fail and learn and get better. I mean, those are the two assets the Blazers really have. So, but I don't know. I mean, it, it sure feels like at this point in time and Joe would know this obviously from covering the team, there've been rough starts to years that have turned out into, you know, strong finishes um, and playoff pushes and, you know, getting to the second round at this point in time, though, it, that <laughs> I, I that appears like pretty unlikely without a significant move. Um, OK, but, but though, but yeah. they're OK, they're 11 and 12. Other than Phoenix, Golden State and Utah from Dallas at four on to the Nuggets at 10, they're all separated yeah. by they're all separated by like a game and a half. Absolutely. Now, granted, I, I, the Nuggets have injuries, but no, that's part of it. I mean, part of it's injuries. Blazers had injuries last year. So my, my point is, is that they're not like they're a three game winning streak away from four. Of course. <laughs> but I guess the, the worry is, is, is the performance the other night is that, um, you know, this team has been kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Are they going to show up, um, without Dame, without Nasir, without Anthony potentially? Are they going to tread water for a little while? I don't know. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm I'm curious your your two's perspective. Like, how is this going to impact the on the court product? Because, like, you know, in our profession, obviously, when there's stuff swirling around you, as has happened in the newspaper business, obviously, for decades, um, it affects you. But you also still have to do your job. Like, are is this going to affect the team having this uncertainty? Like, Joe, you've kind of you've covered some transitions, but nothing like mid season like this, have you? No, not from a front office perspective. It always has been in the off season when when the front office changes has happened. 
Well, on the one hand, these uh, players have grown accustomed to a certain way under Neil Olshay. They all were brought in here one way or another by Neil, either drafted, traded, or you know, signed as free agents. Um, and he has been the single biggest influence on the team's culture and how they operate. And so any changes to any of that would trickle down to them. Now, I don't expect any of that, though, because, you know, presumably there's this front office, you know, three assistant GMs and a bunch of other pieces who have been running this alongside Neil for years. And so you would think that they would keep most of the the same processes in place and, and such. But I guess from a player's standpoint, it's there's so much uncertainty and you have to wonder, how does this affect me? Am I someone who's going to get traded? Am I someone that, you know, maybe now that Neil's gone, do they look to make, you know, a, a, a move? And, and I don't know what the conversations between Neil and those players are like. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what their dialogue's been, but um, when a team struggles as this team has, and there's this huge shakeup, there is no way that it can't at some level influence the roster. It's, it's impossible. Um, you, you know, I, it's just, it's nuts because on the one hand, look, anybody that didn't think that this team was going to get off to a sluggish start doesn't follow the right. NBA or, right. or any, because there's a whole new coaching staff and a pretty significant different roster, at least from a bench standpoint. And so there were going to and your be. Super, and then your superstar got off to a bad start. But go ahead, sorry. Right. And that's all part of it. I mean, it's a new system right. and everything. So that, there was an adjustment for Dame, too. And so, you know, they weren't going to get out to a 20 and 3 start or, or, or a, you know, a, a, an exceptional start. But have you seen signs that they're heading in the right direction, even? Have you seen. You know, things here and there that that, that, offer, that offer hope that they're going to – I haven't seen it. If anything, you know, the injuries are going to stall that even more. And the way Chauncey's talking, you know, that's part of the process. He's, he's got to do that anyway. Um, typically, you know, the, the, the way the NBA works and, and kind of the, the feeling in the league is that by Christmas, traditionally, you know who a team is. So um, and the Blazers were coming home for a, a, a lot of home games here in this month, which mm-hmm. which you've noted before, Aaron. And this was kind of a chance for them to to kind of right their ship a little bit. But had, then, had their wins. <laughs> right. And, but now they're dealing with these injuries where guys are going to miss at least 10 days. And, and yeah. so I don't know that that's going to be a big help like like you might have thought it would right. be. And so. It's just a very unsettling time in general, both in this moment, but from a large, it's both a micro and a macro perspective. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, Dame not playing. I mean, had Dame played last night, would they have won? I can't say yes because they lost by 30, right? But just to give you, like, if you really watch other teams' scores, it just gives you perspectives on the Blazers' inconsistencies. For example, and this is just wild to me, the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 12 and 10, beat Minnesota, which is above 500 right now, by 43 points. Okay? Then the next night, they lost to Utah. That makes sense. But then they lose to Toronto by 13, and four nights later, they beat Toronto. They beat Sacramento by 27 the night before they lost to Atlanta by 32. Then they come out and they beat Oklahoma City by 70. <laughs> like, it's, 
the the volatility there, there's no consistency or rhyme or reason in any of that. And so the Blazers are no different. And you can go on everyone's schedule almost, except for the top seven or eight teams, and they all just have these stretches like this where you're like, what the hell is going on with this team? So that's why I'm not like the loss last night to me is just the NBA. They didn't they, they were without Dane, without Nasir. They maybe didn't take this team seriously. San Antonio came to play. They they played some great basketball and they smoked them. That's more a process of the NBA to me than it is a red flag that they're in huge trouble. What I don't like hearing, though, and I'm tired of hearing, like I said before, is the effort thing. That's the red flag because there's just no excuse for that. And so that, to me, is what gives me pause for this team's potential because it sounds like not enough players on the team give a damn. And so if that's the case and you're already, you know, on the borderline of making the playoffs or not, then you've got trouble. Yeah, and when the players that <laughs> you know bring bring it, bring the effort, are the ones who are injured, um, that's tough. I yeah, want I want to say I, the the year the Blazers uh, beat the Clippers to go to the second round after they blew up the they, roster. They were ten games under. Okay, here it is. Thirteen. This is thirteen, fourteen, fourteen, fifteen. They were twelve and twenty-one. 13 and 23. So 12 and 21, they were 11 games under. And then they finished the year 40 and 42. Yeah. And there, there was multiple cases, uh, under Terry Stotts. And that's the caveat to all this. It's a completely yeah. different coaching staff. Oh, so wait. At some level, Sorry, all that means nothing because it's a whole different environment and a whole different staff. Um, and, and so there have been cases. At least three years in which the Blazers have rallied after the All Star break to either make the yeah. playoffs or go on an extended playoff run, and so you know the the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum led teams have done this historically, but it has not been for this coach. It has not been with this style, uh, and so we don't know. And it's not been with with the front office in, instability and and now uh, total implosion. So let me let me correct this because it's driving me nuts. It was fifteen sixteen. I was looking at the Celtics. That's why I was all thrown off. Fifteen sixteen. That was a year after Aldridge was gone. They were eleven and twenty. And at the time, I was thinking, yes, they're going to get the top three pick. And then they end up finishing forty four and thirty eight. From eleven and twenty to forty four and thirty eight. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. We'll tell you that at, at, whether it was unspoken or not. The the plan was not to make the second round of the playoffs. The plan was to tank, I've been told <laughs> by sources. Yeah, the plan was not to do that well that year. Dame screwed it up. See, of all of all the criticisms of Olshay, he had a plan that year, and Dame's competitiveness, competitiveness, and CJ coming of age screwed it up. Or they would have had Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram or Ben Simmons. I'll add to to Joe's context, which is super helpful. Just what worries me this year beyond just the coaching staff. And I know Dame has obviously dealt with this injury for years, but it's just, you know, all the basketball with the the Olympics and the bubble and mm-hmm. the the season and, you know, he's older and has you know, he's a parent of a bunch of small children now. Um and all he's that, due. Yeah. And he's due. He's due for what? He's due for that year when the injuries mount oh, up and you yeah, only yeah. play 50, 60 games. Like, yeah. at some, almost everyone goes through that at some point. So that's, that's where the concern comes of this being like, yeah, we've seen this, this core rebound, um, before, but can it happen this year? And I don't know. We're at that, you know, there's just so much swirl that there hasn't been before. Plus, um, 
I don't know. The injury stuff is hitting a little differently just because of all the factors I just mentioned. I mean, to me, it could go, it could go, it, it, they could win 47 games and be a five or six seed, or they could easily, if, especially if Dame's in and out of the lineup, they could easily finish in the lottery and they don't have uh, their pick. Although it is protected. I think it's lottery protected, isn't it? This one's lottery protected. So that would be good for them <laughs> if they were going to go into the lottery this year. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's not looking good. Mostly, it's just so. not fun right now, <laughs> you know. No, it's, it's yeah, that too. It's it's not. And there's something like like, like I've already said how much I appreciate Anthony Anthony and Freddie, and I, I like the fact that he's getting to play more. Um, but I just I just really I'm disappointed that there's even talk of like the effort issues and. It's just I, I thought this team was going to come in with a different attitude because I do think there's enough talent there to at least, like I said, win 50 games. You're probably going to lose in the first or second round, but at least be as good as you can be and be competitive and be fun. And it's just I mean, other than a handful of home games, it just hasn't been that way. It kind of makes me think back to when we we did this months ago talking about Chauncey and, and his declaration that he was going to hold people accountable. And, and, and I, I believe at the time I sort of mentioned like, that can be a difficult thing for some people to accept and there's yeah. buy-in and then there's dealing. And I don't, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and I, I don't know what film reviews like and to what level I'm using air quotes, the accountability is, is being you know held. But it, when a different voice comes in with a different style and if it's a harsher voice with a more direct, you know, calling out that, that can be good, and it also can take time before it takes hold. And and you know, some guys, some guys get sick of hearing it. And I don't know if guys get called out regularly, if it's the same guys that are regularly getting called out, and so on and so forth. But um, there's a learning curve with all that, and so you have to wonder how that plays, what part that's playing into everything as well. Yeah, and at some point you have like he's going to have to. I mean, he sat Nurkic and Covington for the entire fourth quarter of a game, and they won with Nasir and. And Nance, right? And then Covington and actually Nurk came back and played better. But at at some point, you're you're gonna probably have to yank someone out of the starting lineup to make your point. But but it's delicate. You know, these are not unsensitive human beings. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine benching Nurkic? Yes, I he'd mean, the no. first play in the, he'd be on the first play in the Bosnia. Yeah, it's like I always talk about the sell Blazers fans. It's it's uh, when they want to trade, they put it all in the old trade machine to trade X Y Z for X Y Z, and it's like this isn't fantasy basketball, and and moves in the starting lineup and in and out of the starting lineup. It's not fantasy fantasy basketball. So there's repercussions with all that, and that kind of brings us full circle to the whole culture of this franchise and and how it's how it's been under Neil and and. You know, I will say that that going back might be his legacy of just, you know, despite how he appeared uh, outwardly and despite his, you know, the difference in opinion of his success, he kept a pretty harmonious locker room, a pretty uh, drama free, you know, uh, roster. And and it was a collection of good guys for the most part and uh, guys that that played well and hard. Um and so, you know, as as his time ends, that that will be one thing that I think is indisputable about his his time here and the teams he put together. I hear you. All right, they got Boston tomorrow night. Anything else? Do you think Neil can bounce back from this? 
Man. Uh, in terms of getting another GM job? So there's two, there's two school ways to look at it. So if you've been branded as someone who creates a toxic work environment and presumably the research done and the investigation done backed all that up since he was dismissed, his dealings around the league are, were they, did they play out in a similar fashion? What were his relationships with other general managers and other front offices? What is the book on Neil around the league? Uh, you know, what would his ego allow? Like, I don't see someone just coming in and hiring him to be their GM first thing after all this, right? So if he wants to stay in basketball, and I don't know if he does, presumably he'll have to do so as, as you know, a part of a front office if there's a GM out there willing to give him another chance. And so that would be, I think, his path back. Is, is to kind of not pay your dues again, but to repay your dues more until you can prove you're either a changed person or you've evolved and, and are ready. But, you know, it's something that's that's going to be attached to him his entire career. So it's going to be very difficult for an owner, uh, you know, or a president of a team to, to justify hiring someone who, you know, after all the success and that's not even in air quotes because I do believe this franchise had a lot of success after all his success that he was still dismissed under, under these, you know, circumstances. So I have a hard time seeing it, but there's been bigger, yeah. bigger, um, what holes in sports. No, I was not going to say that there's been bigger, uh, um, not rebounds, comeback stories. We've seen bigger comeback stories yeah. in life and sports and so on. And so from that standpoint, you, you can't rule it out. I wonder if the fact that at least we haven't heard anything related to sexual harassment or racism, if it's just he was a bully, he does anger management, someone out there who likes him and respects him, that could be a pathway. You know, if like the worst thing you did was you were a, a, I mean, I mean, look, I've worked for plenty of people who at moments were like borderline getting slapped. In terms of how they what how they talk to me, but I don't hate those people. Like you know, you, you worked it out, you got over it. They apologize, you move on. Uh, people have their moments, and you know, it, so I, I kind of and I kind of give people the benefit of the doubt that people can grow and learn. I, I I try and live that way to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. So I do think there could be a pathway back for him. Maybe not a, a you know a GM or president again, but you know assistant GM or what have you if he wants to stay in the NBA. We'll see. Well, especially if the kind of uh, the rumblings that have sprung up in wake of this, that the there's got to be a union for GMs. Because they're all bad, right? <laughs> they're, they're all jerks. Well, yeah. Uh, tongue in cheek, of course, but to protect them from... Is that from, tongue in cheek? Yeah, maybe. I mean, for... I mean, think, uh, I mean, think about it. A GM gets investigated for workplace toxicity. And what do the rest of the GMs in the NBA do? They form a union to try and protect themselves against such investigations. Why? Because they all know they're jackasses. No, I don't. I don't think branding every GM is <laughs> a like, jackass. I got to edit fair. this whole section out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think branding every GM a jackass is fair. But I mean, <laughs> I'm exaggerating to every one of them. But I'm just saying. But my point, my point was before uh, I was so rudely interrupted. I mean, he could be the, you know, if he, if he gets that through, Don't slap me. if they, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> if they get that through and that is something that actually happens, then of course, it, what a, what a 
wonderful example of the rehabilitation if you land somewhere else. So, I mean, that's something to keep an eye on, but obviously not, not closely because who really cares? That's extremely <laughs> inside baseball or basketball or whatever you want to say. Let's hopefully talk more about the actual roster and the performance of the team and stuff like that going forward. But it feels kind of like the old days where no, we're going to follow Neil O'Shea's career. <laughs> yes. Every week, every Neil, week on the blazer focus. Podcast. Neil O'Shea podcast. O'Shea watch. Yeah. Uh, anyways, let's hope just we talk more basketball and less of this stuff. Oh, I know. I, dude, I, listen, man, I cannot, I hate drama. I like, well, I, 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 I take this back. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. I, I I could enjoy watching drama from afar. I hate covering drama. I just want to cover, you know, are they winning? Are they losing? How are they playing? Strategy, roster moves, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what interests me. All this other stuff is just like, wow, man, really? It's part of the job. You know, you got to deal with it, but it's not. I'd, I'm with you, Andrew. I'd rather just, I'd rather be worrying right now about whether they should be blitzing as much. All the complaining about the Blazers pick and roll defense. And now their stats out there showing how awful they are because they blitz too much. It's hilarious to me because of six years, all I heard was, we keep dropping the big. We keep dropping the big. And now they're blitzing, but they're allegedly blitzing too much and teams have figured it out and they're getting roasted. It's hilarious. I, the whole time I thought the whole thing was blown out of proportion. And now it's being blown out of proportion the, proportion the other way. I when we did a podcast last year and I broke down the, the rating, the defensive ratings of every guy and how they were more in, it coincided with all the weak defensive teams and that the idea that this group was going to be a good defense regardless of strategy or coach didn't make much sense. It's like that's pretty much playing out. It's like they don't have the dudes to have a really good defense. You're starting three guys who are 6'2", 6'3". I've seen – I've watched every minute of every game, give or take, and I see numerous times where guys six eight and six nine are just running right at those guys and say, "Okay, see if you can stop me." And it's, it's just you know, it's, the roster is an issue. But anyway, we got anything else? Or are we done? Done. Marin Fentress, they are Joe Freeman and <laughs> Andrew Thien, and I will be back next week with the podcast. Probably not with Joe because this was Joe's monthly duty. We appreciate it, Joe. <laughs> Peace out. We'll get you in January. Uh, be sure to click that subscribe button and uh, leave a positive review. And hopefully next week we'll be back with some more positive discussions about the Blazers as they maybe pick up a couple of wins, even without Damian Lillard. Thanks for listening. <laughs>